The Squeeze is a free weekday email and podcast where your shortcut to being informed. The lockdown of our national border, along with state and territory borders, has become some of the most contentious issues of the coronavirus crisis. In this episode of Squeeze Shortcuts, we take a look at why our borders closed in the first place, how it unfolded and the impact that it has had. Squeeze Shortcuts is the backstory to the big news stories. I'm Kate Watson. And I'm Claire Kimball. We've got our national border and we've got our state borders, Claire. Let's start with the big one, the national border. Seems obvious to say this, but it's the federal government's responsibility. They make decisions about people coming in and out of the country. And it's the Department of Home Affairs that looks after immigration and border-related functions like customs, processing visas and passports and operating those checks at the points of entry and departure like our international airports. It was in January that the federal government started monitoring people's temperatures at those points of entry for COVID-19. This isn't something that was necessarily new for the coronavirus. No, part of the federal government's role is to deploy health officials to be part of that response if there's concerns about a disease coming into the country that could be spread and detrimental to the health of Australians. So that happened with the coronavirus when cases started to build up in China. And then the decision was taken to ban foreign nationals entering Australia from mainland China. In fact, Claire, we were one of the first nations to close our national border in this coronavirus crisis. That happened as far back as the 1st of February. Australian citizens, permanent residents and their immediate family, legal guardians and spouses were accepted from the measure, but they had to go into 14 days quarantine. They could return to Australia and, in fact, evacuation flights were put on by the government to get them back to Oz. And just in terms of locking down our national border, can I just check, Claire, the government of the day can do that without any legislation or debate. The health minister has the power to put in place measures necessary to prevent or control the entry of a disease and it spread into Australia or into another country. And that's what was invoked when Prime Minister Scott Morrison announced on the 20th of March that our border was closed for entry and exit with some exemptions. There's no timeline on opening our national border. At one time, Prime Minister Scott Morrison said he hoped it would be open by Christmas, but since then he said that's looking unlikely. Some commentators say March 2021 is the next horizon more than a year since the border was locked down. And of course, it's not the only border that's closed. So are some of our state and territory borders. Let's have a look at that now. The 20th of March was a big day. Not only was our national border locked down, but Tassie also put in place the toughest border measures in the country to prevent the spread of coronavirus. As an island state, it was able to do that a bit more easily than those on the mainland. What it put in place was a regime where travellers into the state had to go into 14 days quarantine and it was a really eye-opening move at the time. It was, and things moved quickly after that, with the NT, WA, South Australia and Queensland putting their own border restrictions in place shortly after that. And this is when some inconsistencies in the messaging and approach between the Commonwealth and the states began to emerge. New South Wales and Victoria, for example, didn't join in the move towards border restrictions until much later. 
That was in early July when New South Wales finally made the decision to close the border between it and Victoria. That was because of what was emerging in Melbourne. That's right. And it wasn't as contentious as other border closures had been with both premiers and Prime Minister Scott Morrison declaring that it was the right thing to do because of the need to stop the spread of coronavirus in the community in its tracks. It wasn't as contentious, but still a lot of talk with these border closures around the effects of those closures on the economy. There's two elements to the coronavirus crisis. The first is dealing with the health emergency and the second is trying to safeguard the economy so that when the community is deemed to be safe, the economy is in a position to kick back into gear. But the borders remain closed because that is the health advice which our leaders really have lent on, Claire. And you might remember that out of National Cabinet came a three-pillar plan that had to be in place for the restrictions Mm. that we were living under at Easter to be eased, and that was that state and territory health services had to be able to test for cases reliably and quickly, that health officials could trace the contacts of confirmed cases quickly to get them out of circulation, and there had to be a rapid response health capability on the ground. And the hope then was that we could transition to a new normal where we went about our business because the health system was ready to deal with any outbreaks before they grew to be large and dangerous. Going about our business as far as the Prime Minister and the federal government were concerned included going interstate. That hasn't really worked out. No, it really hasn't because those interstate borders remain closed. So let's have a look now at the impact our border closures have had. As we've just talked about, state and territory leaders who put border restrictions in place say protecting their citizens from the coronavirus is their top priority, but that comes at an economic cost. What do we know about what that cost is? Scott Morrison has talked about those border restrictions costing the economy $4 billion every week that they're in place. And he worries that as the cost adds up, more Australians will find it harder to keep their jobs and be in a position to rev up the economy when the health emergency is behind us possibly after a vaccine is found or if we've found another way to live with the virus, like finding an effective treatment. And critics say the states that are adamant about keeping the restrictions in place are those that haven't had that many cases. And of course, their low case numbers are linked to the border lockdowns. But the debate there is about what living with the coronavirus looks like because the economic cost is potentially very high. It's a bit chicken and egg, isn't it? The emotional cost is high also, with many cases being raised to people missing out on loved ones' funerals and not being able to seek medical care, for example. There's been some very sad stories, particularly for people living in those border communities where their lives are lived across state borders. We're talking about Aubrey and Wodonga and Tweed Heads and Coolangatta. But perhaps one of the most high-profile cases has been in Queensland recently where a nurse from the ACT wanted to get home to see her terminally ill father. She was in quarantine. She wasn't able to make it out of quarantine in time to see him before he died. And then she was really unable to attend his funeral. For their part, the state premiers have said that they do have regimes in place that can grant exemptions for people requiring medical care and in exceptional circumstances. And that system hasn't been fail-proof, of course. We've also got to be careful with politics playing a part in this. There's no doubt that campaigners are involved when they're attacking one state leader or another. And when it comes to looking at Queensland, it's got a state election at the end of October. So it's good to keep that in the back of your mind when it comes to what's being said there. 
And in amongst all of this has been the National Cabinet. It was the forum that was set up at the beginning of the coronavirus crisis for the Prime Minister and state and territory leaders to talk about the government's response on a fortnightly basis it's been meeting. It's been praised for working effectively this year, but it hasn't been effective in harmonising the response around borders, Claire. No, and that's because ultimately it's the state and territory leaders who can make their own decisions about those borders and there's no requirement for consensus in that forum. That's cooperative federalism for you. And looking nationally at our national border, it's quite a bit less politically charged perhaps. Look, there are those who are concerned that the government is blocking people from coming in and out of the country. And there's reports that there's some 27,000 Australians who want to come home, but they're finding it difficult to get here. And that includes 2,500 people who have been determined to be at risk or have an urgent need to get back to Australia. And then there's those who are concerned that Australians are being prevented from leaving the country unless they're granted an exemption. But yes, there's been far less criticism about our international border than our internal ones. And because everything has some complications, of course, the state and territories are also involved with the international borders in regards to quarantining returned travellers. Yeah, there's not any discussion about the federal government and the states without complication. And Mm. that's because when travellers get here, they need to go into hotel quarantine and that's operated by the state and territory health authorities. That's come about because those governments are in charge of the health response on their patch, not the Commonwealth. And just finally, there was talk about a travel bubble being established with New Zealand. Whatever happened to that? The second wave of cases in Melbourne killed that off. But there's been discussions about travel bubbles being opened with not just New Zealand, but also Singapore, Thailand and Hawaii, with experts predicting that international travel will return in a sort of country by country air bridge rather than an all in approach. And that's your shortcut to Australia's border restrictions. On to our recommendations. Each episode of Squish Shortcuts, we recommend some further reading, listening, watching, all sorts of things. Mine is a free bit of promotion for the Squiz. But to tie this all together, it's worth having a listen to our Squiz shortcut on the Federation. It helps understand why states have their own separate powers, Claire. I've also gone a bit back in time, Kate. I didn't really realise that there was a whole brouhaha about forming Australia's borders back at Federation. Mm. And also there's all of these corners that are quite contested and all comes down to, you know, how they looked at the stars and then tried to put plots on maps way back in the early 1900s. It's quite an interesting read. There you go. Where's that from? It is from the Australian Government Geological Surveying people. Where do you find these things? Uh, It's all on the interwebs. Go down some very (laughs) big rabbit holes. (laughs) Thanks as always for tuning in to Squiz Shortcuts. We'd really welcome any feedback or ideas you have for a Squiz Shortcut. Just shoot us a note to hello at thesquiz.com.au. Until next week. 